we've been doing a series in Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, what we're doing along with uh, Solomon, who takes the stage, is we've been looking at life with a cold, hard look. Trying to see it clearly. Not just negatively, but clearly. And if we're not careful, there are illusions that we can buy into. And Solomon, in his message to us, wants us to avoid any sort of illusion about the way the world really is. He wants to see us it clearly, to know the truth, and to see the reality of God and his life amongst us. And so we begin uh, at the very beginning, as we have each week, where the play opens, thinking man, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless empty, vapor. And as he begins these words and the play begins, immediately after he says, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. And what he says here is, what's the point of all the work we do? The world keeps spinning. One generation comes, another generation goes. What really changes by any of the work we ever do? Why work so hard? Maybe you've had that feeling yourself. Maybe you've had the feeling of wondering, why am I bothering working so hard? It doesn't get me a raise. I don't get more time off. I work three times as hard as my other co-worker, and in the end, they get paid the same amount as I do, and all I get for my hard work is more responsibility because I'm trustworthy. Or maybe it's just, man, this is hard and my knees are sore. Or the hours are long or not enough. And we work and we work, and is it ever really changing anything? As Solomon gets in, he faces that. He confronts that reality of work. What's work been like for you? You know, they say if you find something that you love and you figure out a way to get paid for it, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, I've found a lot of things that I love and I've found ways to get paid for them, and it's a lot of work. (laughs) You know, as we take on a career or maybe at home it's caring for our children and that's really our calling. Whatever we do in our work, there's never an end to the laundry. There's never an end to the bills to be paid. There's never an end to the number of shifts you have to cover for that sick coworker. There's never an end to the angry boss. There's never an end to the customer or client who... But what's all this work for anyway? Well, having got our attention, Solomon walks around, and as we've been talking about, he now goes on to other things. He talks about wisdom and how he's been gifted this incredible wisdom, and yet, is that really enough to make a life meaningful? He goes around, he talks about one thing and another. Last week, we talked about achievements and trophies, and we saw the trophy fall to the ground. And he comes back to the theme of work again. You can almost see him, you know, going over to the window, just looking out. And he starts to listen, and he hears a song being sung of workmen, singing, 
to keep themselves in time with one another, singing to pass the time and to make it more tolerable, singing because what else is there to do when you're working hard? You can almost hear him humming along. That's the sound of the man working on the chain. Gang. We come to this next section in chapter 2. The next section in chapter 2. All right. As he's looking out the window, he's reflecting, continuing to reflect. He says, I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. My wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. As I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Even when we love our job, even when we're well paid, even when our boss is nice and gives us extra time off with pay, even when everything is going well, we come to the end of it, even on a good day, and can say, well, that was fun, but did the world change? Is my life really any different? Is the world any better? Solomon's looking at that. He's questioning the value of hard work, even even when we find pleasure in it. Continues on. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. For I must leave to others everything I've earned. Who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they'll control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Maybe he's thinking about his kids now. He worked hard to build, to accomplish, to do, but now his children, they're so entitled. They spend so much time on their iPhone. They've never wanted for anything. Every day they have more than enough food, too much, They've got the nicest clothes. They've never had to worry about shoes that have a hole in them. And look at them. Entitled. Lazy. All my hard work, and they're going to take all the money I've earned, all this beautiful home, all the cars that they drive. My goodness, I never had a car till I was 20, but my, these kids, they've had one since they were 16. You can see him sort of questioning the value. You know, in the end, I'm just going to give it all away. I'm not going to get to keep it. Who knows if the next person to take my throne, who knows if the next person to own this house, who knows if the next person who owns this car, who the next person who owns this business, if they'll do well or not. Maybe the business will fold. Maybe the bank account will run dry. Maybe they'll just throw it all away or sell it to someone who just doesn't care about it the way I do. He says, who knows what's coming after me? No matter what I do, no matter what I accomplish, no matter how much I earn and work for and build, 
What does it all really amount to in the end anyway? He keeps going. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill. They must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless. A great tragedy. So what do people get in life for all their hard work and anxiety? The days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. And he comes to this point of just frustration. No matter how much knowledge, no matter how much skill he's developed over time, when he gets to 65, what now? He's phased out. His successor comes along. What's left? Someone else who hasn't worked hard for it is going to take it all. This kingdom he's built. What do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Sleepless nights, wondering if the bills will be enough, wondering if what's in the account will cover the expense, wondering if they'll be able to find a way to sign the contract, do the deal, make enough money, pay the bills, hire the employees, keep everyone working. One night after another, can't quite sleep, staring at the ceiling, just wishing that he could sleep. Hard work. Do you know the feeling? Waking up early because why? Because the day's going to start and you better be ready for it. And I don't need to be up this early. Just one more snooze button and yet it comes back nine minutes later. What's the point of it all? What do people get in this life for all their hard work? It's all meaningless, empty, air, a mirage. He continues on. So, I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. Who can eat or enjoy anything apart from Him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please Him. If a sinner becomes wealthy, God can take the wealth away and give it to those who please him. This too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. And so he says, you know, if in the end all my work doesn't really change anything, I might as well enjoy it along the way. I might as well stop and not push so hard. Maybe I should just have supper with my family tonight because it's not really going to change anything one way or another. Maybe I should take a break with my friends. Maybe I should stop and breathe, eat and drink. He says, you know, all of those things, they're, they're actually things that God provides. All my hard work, it, it, it's really just an illusion. Everything that I've really ever needed, God has given to me. And as he's thinking about this, he realizes that his work, although it may have been good or it may have been bad, in the end, all he could really do was enjoy the ride and enjoy the day. 
and be content with whatever circumstances he'd been afforded by God. You know, I think uh, to a, a time I was reminded of a short video that my um, former school president at Regent College made. He was talking about his time as president and all the work that he had done to try to build up the college, to put it on secure footing. His name is Rod Wilson. And Rod said, you know, I think I see it most clearly in fundraising. A significant part of the work of any college president is to raise funds to keep the institution going. And he said, I work with the illusion that my work makes any difference. He says, I do all the work. I, I, I visit the people. I try to communicate clearly. I do all that. But it's really just an illusion. And in the end, no matter how hard I work, it doesn't necessarily produce any different result. It's up to someone else's provision. Someone else makes it happen. He says, I do the same amount of work every year, but the result is different one time to the next. And what he says is, the work that I put in, my belief that that was making any difference was an illusion. Instead, what I've understood is grace. God provides. And so I should enjoy what God provides. Not to stop working, not to throw in the towel, but to enjoy what God provides. Because it's enough. Paul, in the New Testament, I think, understood this when he said that Apollos planted the seed, I watered it, but God made it grow. What he recognized is he could do all the work he wanted, but in the end it was up to the hand of God to decide whether there was success or not. And God would provide, God would give grace. So he says in the end here, Solomon says, I realize all these pleasures are from the hand of of God, who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? So once again, he takes us from the point of frustration and recognizing the, the emptiness and futility of work, and he points us towards God. And he says, we can get frustrated, I can get depressed, I can start to think it's all pointless, but you know what? My focus is on the wrong thing. My focus needs to shift towards God and what God is doing in the world, because God will provide for me what I need to eat, what I need to drink. He continues on now, uh, a chapter later, in Ecclesiastes 3. And he's beginning to reflect more and more about God now. He's, he's beginning to shift his perspective away from his own works now to the work of God, the God who provides and cares for him. He says, what do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet... God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So he says, what do we get for all of our hard work? Well, it's a big burden on us, but you know what? God is making something beautiful. He's got this eternal thing going on that he's allowed us to be part of. And none of us can see how it all fits together. None of us can see all the work that God is doing, but 
God is making something beautiful. God is working to bring about something good, even when we can't see it. It continues. So, I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. People should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear Him. What God tries to teach us through our work and through our labor is how to trust Him, to fear Him, to respect Him, to have awe for Him. What God is teaching us by providing, giving us grace, giving us enough food to eat, what He's teaching us is to look to Him, to seek God before we seek anything else. It's the same theme that he's driving home with one topic after another. Seek God above all else. Seek God above all else because everything else is meaningless apart from God. But if we understand that God is working something good that we can't even perceive through time, if we understand that God is up to something incredible that can never be changed, that can never be destroyed, that's lasting and everlasting, eternal, then we can be part of something that is meaningful, that makes a difference, that makes something beautiful. So he looks at all of this and he says, you know, when I look at myself, it doesn't seem to make a bit of difference. But in the end, when I look to God, I see that God is working about something good. I can't always see it. can't always feel it but he's bringing about something good in his own time, in his own way. And all I can do is trust him. What I can do is keep working, trusting that what he's going to do is good, trusting that he's going to provide for me. When we have that perspective and we look to God and we try to join God in his work, what we're doing is we're looking back to the way God designed it to be in the very beginning. Let me take you to Genesis 1. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. What God does in the beginning is he creates human beings to be like him, to join in his creative work. He says, you are to be like me. You're to be a reflection of my character. You're to be a reflection of the actions that I do in the world. You are my image. And what I want you to do is to be fruitful and multiply. Be creative. Produce things. Make something new. Make something beautiful and make something good better. Fill the earth, govern it, manage it. Reign over the fish in the sea. It's not exploit, it's not dominate, it's not take and take and take, it's manage it, develop it, make it multiply, grow and flourish. Make it all the more. And he says, humanity, your job is to be like me, and it's to be creative, and it's to produce more, and to bring about flourishing in the world, to make something beautiful. He says this again in Genesis chapter 2 on the next slide. 
Here he's describing it in closer detail and says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. A few things about words in that. When he's describing the helper, who's Eve, when he uses the word helper, it's not like you're my subordinate or you're my secretary. What he's describing is a perfect match, an equal partner. That word helper is used in other places to describe God as the great deliverer and rescuer. This is not a weak word. This is not a subordinate word. It's a partner word. And so he's describing how the man and the woman together will work and take care of the earth. And what's interesting about the words work and take care of is that they can mean to serve or till. So work means to serve. To work means to take care of, to till. And to take care of it means to keep it, preserve it. It can also mean to worship and obey. There's a lot of different meanings to those words. And when we put it into English, you can miss some of them. Well, what God does here is he says, I want you to be like me in the world, producing something beautiful. And I want you to do that as an act of worship that serves the people that you are working for, that serves the earth, that serves me. I want you to work as an act of worship that produces and flourishing in the world, creating beauty that over time will be perceived by many people. But right now, right now you might not see your part in it and how it all makes sense. From the beginning, God invites us to be part of His beautiful creative work as an act of worship. Continue on to the next slide. When we come to Colossians chapter 3, Here's what Paul writes. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. See, Solomon had reflected how in the end, whatever inheritance he left could be squandered away by the next person to come. But what we're reminded here as we look to Jesus and the writing of Paul, what we're seeing is that when we work for God rather than for ourselves, rather than for the next generation, when we work to serve God, It means that we get an inheritance that's never going to be taken away from us. It's an inheritance that isn't fleeting and temporary. It's an inheritance that's permanent and everlasting. The retirement package is out of this world. (laughs) So he says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. What we need to do is shift our thinking away from I'm just working for myself to make a living because in the end, that's just going to go away. What we need to do is see how somehow our work is tied to producing the beauty that God intended for the world. 
that somehow we are working alongside God in producing and creating something good. Even if we can't see it. Even if we don't know how it all fits together. To trust God. It says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. That's the language of do it as an image bearer. Whatever you do, you should reflect the image of God in your character and your activity. So find work that reflects what God is up to in the world. Making something beautiful. You care for children. Care for them in a way that's loving and kind. You sell widgets. Don't do it in a way that just exploits your customer. Sell them at a fair price. Sell widgets that make something helpful. You work at a gas station. Do it with kindness and a smile, serving other people. You work in tech. Do that so that it produces life rather than complications and pain. You work in medicine. Bring about the healing that God wants to bring in people's lives. You work in teaching, teach so that knowledge brings light and life. Whatever you do, do it as if you are working for God, like He sent you on assignment and you're on a special mission. And you are there to produce something beautiful in your little corner of the world. Do it as a representative of Jesus. Do it as if Jesus was doing it. Do it the way Jesus would if He showed up and took your job. Employee of the month. We do all of this by letting the message of Christ fill us. We start from a place of filling and acceptance as we've been singing about, as we talked about last week. We don't start from a place where my work is going to bring about my worth. No, we start from a place I'm accepted, I'm full, and I'm alive, I'm resourced by God, and now I'm going to go serve. And look what it says. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Whistle while you work. Sing a song while you work. Bring joy to it, whatever the circumstances. Find ways to be happy no matter what in all of it. Enjoy whatever little gifts God has given you along the way as provision for you. Make the most of it. Sing while you work, and let your work be a song of worship. And so as we come to the topic of work and toil and our labor, Solomon says it's meaningless if it's divorced from what God is doing in the world. It's empty and hollow and fleeting if it's not tied to the lasting creative work of God, producing and redeeming the world. Our work has meaning and is full and is alive when we work for the Lord rather than for people. And so may we work as a way of worshiping God. May we work for the purposes of God in the world. And together, may we make something beautiful. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that when you were here on this world, you were working for the purposes of your Father. 
and you declared that you had come to do that work at whatever cost it was to you because it was part of the greater story of what you were accomplishing in the world. We thank you, Jesus, that you did not shy away from even the suffering, that you entered into the labor and difficulty, you worked as a carpenter, you knew what it was like to put food on the table, and you worked in a way that made something good. And out of all of that work, all that you accomplished, as you went even to the cross, we have life. You produce within us new life, the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of what's broken. You make us whole. You make it possible for us to share in that eternal story that you are weaving throughout history. So Jesus, may we do all that we do flowing out of our relationship with you, flowing out of the fullness of what you've provided, flowing with joy in a song as an act of worship to you as we reflect your character and your activity in the world. Jesus, as we gather around this table in remembrance today, may we eat and drink to recognize the gifts you have given to us, to recognize the incredible life you've provided even through your death on the cross. And Jesus, as we look to you, show us the way. Show us the way to live forevermore. In your name we pray. Amen.